Volume Three, Chapter Two of Gwenwin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Lars Rolander. Gwenwin, A Romance of the Why by Main Reed. Volume Three, Chapter Two, The Crushed Juniper. Notwithstanding the caution with which Captain Ryecroft made his reconnaissance, it was nevertheless observed, and from beginning to end, before his boat drew near the end of the Iot, about the place where for the second time it had stopped, it came under the eyes of a man who chanced to be standing on the cliff by the side of the summer-house. That he was there by accident, or at all events not looking out for a boat, could be told by his behaviour on first sighting this, neither by change of attitude, nor glance of eye evincing any interest in it, his reflection is, Some fellows after salmon, I suppose, have been up to that famous catching place by the ferry, and are on the way home downward, to rock where, no doubt. Ha! The ejaculation is drawn from him by seeing the boat come to a stop, and remain stationary in the middle of the stream. "'What's that for?' he asks himself, now more carefully examining the craft. It is still full four hundred yards from him, but the moonlight being in his favour, he makes it out to be a pair-oared skiff with two men in it. "'They don't seem to be dropping a net,' he observes nor engaged about anything that's odd before they came to stop he heard a murmur of voices as of speech a few words exchanged between them but too distant for him to distinguish what they had said now they are silent sitting without stir only a slight movement in the arms of the oarsman to keep the boat in its place all this seems strange to him observing not less when a flood of moonlight brighter than usual falls over the boat, and he can tell by the attitude of the man in the stern, with face turned upward, that he is regarding the structure on the cliff. He is not himself standing beside it now, soon as becoming interested by the behaviour of the men in the boat, from its seeming eccentricity, he had glided back behind a bush, and there now crouches an instinct prompting him to conceal himself. Soon after he sees the boat moving on, and then for a few seconds it is out of sight, again coming under his view near the upper end of the islet, evidently setting in for the old channel, and while he watches, it enters. As this is a sort of private way, the ayot itself being an adjunct of the ornamental grounds of Langoran. He wonders whose boat it can be, and what its business there. By the backwash it must be making for the dock and stair. The men in it, or one of them, for the court. While still surprisedly conjecturing, his ears admonishing him that the oars are at rest, and another stoppage has taken place. He cannot see the skiff now, as the high bank hinders. 
besides the narrow passage is arcaded over by trees still in thick foliage and though the moon is shining brightly above scarce a ray reaches the surface of the water but an occasional creak of an oar in its rowlock and some words spoken in low tone so low he cannot make them out tell him that the stoppage is directly opposite the spot where he is crouching as predatory animal in wait for its prey what was at first mere curiosity and then matter of but slight surprise is now an object of keen solicitude for of all places in the world to him there is none invested with greater interest than that where the boat has been brought to why has it stopped there why is it staying for he can tell it is by the silence continuing above all who are the men in it he asks these questions of himself but does not stay to reason out the answer he will best get them by his eyes and to obtain sight of the skiff and its occupants he glides a little way along the cliff looking out for a convenient spot finding one he drops first to his knees then upon all fours and crawls out to its edge craning his head over but cautiously and with a care it shall be under cover of some fern leaves he has a view of the water below with a boat on it only indistinct on account of the obscurity he can make out the figures of the two men though not their faces nor anything by which he may identify them if already known but he sees that which helps to conjecture at the same sharpening his apprehensions the boat once more in motion not moving off but up into the little cove where a dead body late lay then as one of the men strikes a match and sets light to a lamp lighting up his own face with that of the other opposite he on the bank above at length recognizes both but it is no longer a surprise to him the presence of the skiff there the movements of the men in it like his own evidently under restraint and stealthy have prepared him for seeing whom he now sees captain rycroft and the waterman wingate still he cannot think of what they are after though he has his suspicions the place with something only known to himself suggesting them conjecture at first soon becoming certainty as he sees the ex-officer of hussars rise to his feet hold his lamp close to the cliff's face and inspect the abrasions on the rock he is not more certain but only more apprehensive when the crushed juniper twigs are taken in hand examined and let go again for he has by this divined the object of it all if any doubt lingered it is set at rest by the exclamatory words following which though but muttered reach him on the cliff above heard clear enough no accident no suicide murdered they carry tremor to his heart making him feel as a fox that hears the tongue of hound on its track still distant but for all causing it fear and driving it to think of subterfuge 
and of this thinks he as he lies with his face among the ferns ponders upon it till the boat has passed back up the dark passage out into the river and he hears the last light dipping of its oars in the far distance he even forgets a woman for whom he was waiting at the summer-house and who there without finding him has flitted off again at length rising to his feet and going a little way he too gets into a boat one he finds with oars aboard down in the dock it is not the gwendoline she is gone seating himself on the mid-thwart he takes up the oars and pulls towards the place lately occupied by the skiff of the waterman when inside the cove he lights a match and holds it close to the face of the rock where ryecroft held his lamp it burns out and he draws a second across the sandpaper this to show him the broken branches of the juniper which he also takes in hand and examines soon also dropping them with a look of surprise followed by the exclamatory phrases prodigiously strange i see this drift now cunning fellow on the track he has discovered the trick and twill need another trick to throw him off it this bush must be uprooted destroyed he is in the act of grasping the juniper to pluck it out by the roots a dwarf thing this could be easily done but a thought stays him another precautionary forecast as evinced by his words that won't do after repeating them he drops back on the boat's thwart and sits for a while considering with eyes turned toward the cliff ranging it up and down ah he exclaims at length the very thing as if the devil himself had fixed it for me that will do smash the bush to atoms blot out everything as if an earthquake had gone over langoran while thus oddly soliloquizing his eyes are still turned upward apparently regarding a ledge which almost loose as a boulder projects from the bank above it is directly over the juniper and if detached from its bed as it easily might be would go crashing down carrying the bush with it and that same night it does go down when the morning sun lights up the cliff there is seen a breakage upon its face just underneath the summer-house of course a landslip caused by the late rains acting on the decomposed sandstone but the juniper bush is no longer there it is gone root and branch end of chapter two read by lars rolander